0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces, NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase.
1: Brian Sillison, host of Beyond Rubicon, is on the show. We discuss presenting a united front, his TV show start, his favorite style of hunting, shooting what excites you, and more. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Tales from the Field, presented by Outdoor Edge. Stories, tips, tactics, and in-depth conversations coming to you from industry leaders. Let's get into the show. Today we have Brian on the podcast with Beyond Rubicon. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for joining me this morning.
2: Hey, how how are you doing, Zach?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, you know, we chatted, obviously, a little bit before the, the recording started, and I, yeah, I just, I can't wait to talk with, with somebody that's ex, as excited about archery and the outdoors and hunting and, and all that stuff as I am, so thanks for taking the time today.
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's more important these days that uh, we kind of stand together as well, you know, you find people with like interest and... uh I think you just kind of naturally gravitate to them. You know, there's a, a huge push for hunters like us to be um, united and have a united front when it comes to ethics and conservation and the way that we approach our hunting as well as to, you know, kind of be open to how other people around the world approach hunting as well because the worst thing we can do is, you know, isolate each other.
1: Yeah. I 100% agreed. And, and especially, especially being uh, as, you know, obviously just like the NBA, for instance. There's people that are on the forefront of the NBA, like LeBron James, that everybody kind of focuses on. And, you know, people that are in the outdoor industry and and having TV shows and all that kind of stuff, kind of the same idea. So uh, I couldn't agree with you more, you know, Uh, people looking from the outside in. It's it's not only important for us to present a united front, uh, but also to present the correct front as far as ethics and everything like that goes. But all while still telling the same st- the the whole story, and that was something that that uh, you know I when when I was reading about your guys' show and everything like that, that was something that I immediately gained respect for uh, for you guys, uh, you know. Talking about sharing basically the whole story, because I mean, gosh, Brian, as as you know as well as I do, that uh there's there's you're out there and you're hunting. It's in the wild. It's a wild animal. I mean, there's there's so many things that can go awry, and while obviously we try to do everything in our power to do it the way that the way that we had it envisioned and the way that we practiced and prepared um sometimes things just don't go that way and and i've i i just have a ton of respect for people out there that are that are showing it when it doesn't go well as as and also showing it when it does go well you know what i mean
2: well i tell you we we hardly knew which way to point the camera when we started (laughs) because hunting in of itself is one of the more difficult things that uh, you could possibly embark on, right? Yeah. I mean, you're pitting man against nature, man against animal. I mean, there's a there's a conflict as soon as you you step into that world. And I, uh, I've, I've been reading this book uh, called A Quiet Place of Violence by Adam Morse Jones. And he has this just amazing perspective on ethics in the outdoors up in uh, Montana. And he spent a copious amount of time out there and and one of the things he he, he said was like, we're, we're no longer um, observers, but participants, you know, and, and and he says hunters are an essential part of nature. And so when you think about it from that perspective as well, I think, uh, you know, you realize that, you know, you're out there and you're part of it. You're not just casually watching and observing and, and witnessing what's going on around you, but you're, you're, you're in it, you're predator versus prey. And that is is not easy. And it's a dying skill set in the world right now. And so my whole goal for the rest of my life is to teach my kids and hopefully someday my grandkids and have them pass the traditions on so we can kind of save our heritage a little bit here. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that don't fully understand what it's like to go out and kill an animal. And, you know, us as hunters, I hear the word harvest all the time. I use the word harvest all the time. My dad, that's his word. Period. Um, and and I understand there's a there's a part of hunting that is harvesting once you get that, that animal packed out of the field. But uh, you know it takes you know the a little bit of uh, effort to actually kill something. It takes a, a unique perspective that you can respect something and love it so much and then kill it and then still respect it and still be grateful and still be thankful for everything that you have. And that's the part where I think harvest is, is more appropriate is once you, once you've got it home and once you're there, like this is what you went out and you've got, but uh, he is, his book is a quiet place of violence for a reason. And so I really prescribe to that mindset, like we're in it and we are predators and there are prey out there.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, And, and (laughs) not definitely don't really want to dive down this rabbit hole, but my gosh, what, what a different outlook on providing and getting in, you know, harvesting your own meat at that, you know, COVID has done for everyone. I mean, my gosh, no meat in the stores. You couldn't, you know, so, um, that a lot of people I've talked to have been like, man, it's, There has, there's definitely been an influx in, in people buying tags and, and, and more interested in figuring out how to, how to harvest their own meat because gosh, when you can't go buy it and if you're not out there harvesting it, what, what else are you going to do? You know, but anyways, um, I just thought that was crazy what COVID kind of did to that, that whole scene. You know what I mean?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I've got so many more people, <clears throat> excuse me, so many more people that are interested in hunting in the outdoors now. And so much, in fact, that, you know, during the first onset of the coronavirus, you know, outfitters and landowners were really concerned that they wouldn't be able to sell their tags based on our system here. And so um, what I've got is, uh, you know, an influx of people. They've They've taken – a shot at the supply and demand and hunts are in high demand here and the prices have skyrocketed and so i tell you what um it's it's hard for us to find a tag we didn't draw much this year and but it is nice Me to either. see so many people want to be out there and do it so you know it's a dual edged sword if you, if you want to know the truth
1: yeah absolutely i i do my wife and i didn't draw much either i mean we applied for a tag that was almost 95% draws and here in Wyoming, and we still didn't draw it. I couldn't believe it. Um, And I'm not sure, like you say, if it's due to the influx or or what's going on, but it was pretty crazy. Um, So, you know, with, with beyond Rubicon, why, you know, I I think, I think it's kind of, uh, at least a lot of the outdoorsmen I know that, that are really passionate about it. I think it's, I think it's kind of common for them to be interested in having something filmed, having a TV show. It's, I mean, truly, probably for for the average outdoorsman, that, that's somewhat of a dream, right? Making it in the outdoor industry. Um, so for you, what, what was the TV show, uh, like, why did you start it? You know, what was it about to you? Um, and... What, 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 did, what did your process kind of look like going from, hey, I think we want to film this to, you know, being an award-winning outdoor uh, TV show?
2: Well, it started because of my time in the Marine Corps. And I would show up at home and my brother have a little SD camera, a little point and shoot. And we'd capture the hunts the best that we could. And when we went home, you know, for the few hours that I had to spend at the house after I hunted before I had to report back, uh, to the Marines, we show our family and our friends the videos—the good, the bad, the ugly—and right. they loved it. They <laughs> ate it up because no longer is it a, a you know a, a fish story. And I'm holding my fingers up in quotes, <laughs> like now they're actually they're able to actually witness a little bit of what we're able to, to 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 do and and how we're navigating the landscape and what our hunts really are about. And it really came to life when I uh, went on my first. Ibex hunt, well, maybe it was our second one when um, here in New Mexico. It was down on the Florida mountains. And the amount of emotion that our family had regarding that hunt and literally yelling at the TV, telling us to be careful on the rocks that they're seeing us walk on. <laughs> and we just realized that we'd ca- captured it in a way that, that evoked you know some sort of emotional tie. And so we really started to enjoy filming each other. But we didn't get to hunt that much together. So if you can imagine those few moments that we had were cherished. And as I started getting closer to being eligible for retirement from the Marines, which is different than regular retirement, you know, but when I started getting to that point where I could possibly hang it up, I thought why why can't I do something like this after the Marine Corps? What's stopping me? And really what it boils down to is is it okay to follow a dream? And of course it is. And nice. I'm okay. I'm okay. Showing my kiddos as well that, Hey, if you set your sights on something. You can, you can make it happen, but it really wasn't that easy. Um, here I am in the Marines. I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, we can, we can do this, but we want to do it at a high level. So I started talking to small production companies around New Mexico. And pretty soon I'd landed with a guy who said, yeah, you do it. And he, we hired an entire movie crew we're talking berets, red scarves, and director's chairs. We had a guy on Holy with a, that was on audio running around with a boomstick. you know, with a boom hanging over our heads. We had a, a guy that was pointing and throwing his scarf around, and we had two guys on camera. We took uh, Red Epics out in the field. They had a pair of them. They were loud, cumbersome, but wonderful cameras. Um which mean, I, I've i never seen more camera gear in my entire life and check this out. Okay. I'm, I'm not kidding when I say red scarf, you know, one of the comments I had is um, we had somebody who, who, who knew the production company and was interested in the project. So he, he basically came in dirt cheap. Uh, his name was Ernesto and he just gotten off a major documentary down in Cuba of all places. And this guy's a was a director of photography. I didn't even know what one of those was. Um, and you know, he's he's telling us how to do things and what we need to do. And and he starts putting on his bib, the snow skiing bib. And I'm like, this is September? I'm like, well, what are you doing, Ernesto? He says, Oh, you know, I have shorts on underneath. This no problem. I said, No, we gave you camo, dude. Like, you need to wear camo, and you need to be able to blend in, and you need to be able to be quiet when you're in the field. And and you know, that was kind of the mindset. Well, we're, we're like a bag of freaking monkeys rolling out into the woods. <laughs> and I mean, Jeff's freaking out. Jeff wasn't really interested in bringing somebody out somebody else into hunt camp. He didn't want strangers hanging out with us, you know, because that dynamic was so important to, to both of us growing right. up. Um, and so he's looking at me like, what did we just get into? And I, I just, I looked at him and I said, well, you know, there, I hear elk bugling. Let's just go out to the elk. <laughs> Lo and behold, 45 minutes into the hunt, I get a shot at a nice bull elk, and I hit some limbs. The, the shot didn't work out. It, it, the, my arrow dove into the dirt, and when we all gathered up and we started kind of debriefing what had just happened, all the camera crew guys, I mean, these are movie guys. I mean, one of them had, had just gotten off the set of Independence Day 2. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh, it that bad. And they all looked at me and said, wow, this hunting thing is kind of easy. We thought it would be harder. I was like, you didn't just say that. You did not just say that. And we, we hardly even filmed an elk, much less got the kill shot on, on video. Uh, probably lost 14 opportunities that you have to work hard for. Um, but well, what happened in the end is we ended up establishing our style. We actually produced two episodes that are our highest rated episodes um, since we started the show. Um, from that, because it was just it was so beautiful and there was so much intensity, and we were so new to it that you could just feel the energy and so you know that was that was how we kind of broke into it, <laughs> and every time I think I'm going to get out of it, um, right. you know I just remember that story and how we love to be a part of this and to share it and share it with our families first, right. and that's how we produce as well, you know we produce it as if we're telling the story to our family. And, and we want to show them visually what that really means. So, you know, I, I think we're onto something, you know, there's a, a few people you mentioned, Willie Schmidt, you know, I love, love his, his work and, you know, Jason Matzinger and love his work. And we've all been put in the same lineup on on Monday nights, along with Western Hunter and a couple others. And so uh, I think, uh, I like the style, but I just, one than anything, I just, I've learned that, and I just want to film more and more and more because I want people to see exactly what it is we experience because it's not wholesale slaughter of animals when we go out there. Right. Um, it's not disrespecting the animal. It's There's more reverence for our wild game and nature on a hunting trip than I've seen from just about anybody else. And so I'm happy to be part of this group.
1: Yeah, that that's... Uh, like literally the whole the whole reason I even got a camera in the first place was so I could film something and then bring it back and show net well now at that point I didn't have two sons now I do it you know, so bring back show my two boys and my dad if he you know if he wants to see it or my wife or, or whatever you know and so I can one hundred percent relate the desire to simply want to show your loved ones. Um, especially something that, that not only means so much to you, but something that you yourself felt like you worked so hard to make happen. Um, cause it's obviously, especially, especially like a, a bow hunt or something like that, like bow hunting and self-filming is like an oxymoron. It's just it's like, it's a challenge. And when it all comes together and the stars align like you say, being able to take that footage and show it to people is just, it's just, it's second to none, you know? It's, uh, it's
2: it really, it really is. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and so that's what, and I encourage people to do it. We, we host a film festival every year. Unfortunately, this year it got canceled. And so we invite as amateur as you possibly can be. I don't care if it's a 30 second something. If you have the opportunity, and I'm sorry, did you hear that beep? Oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. That's my somebody's trying to get a hold of me on the computer, <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think uh, what I what I love love to do is invite people to to share their story, whatever it is. And I've had, like I said, you know, thirty second submissions where an elk comes up and licks a guy's broadhead, mm-hmm. a cow elk licks his broadhead. That's he submits crazy. that for film submission, and it was awesome because it was powerful because you could just you knew that he was as close as you could possibly get. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of people were disappointed this year because of COVID and we didn't, we didn't host it. <clears throat> we probably will do something or it's more virtual here before long, but, uh, it'll probably be next year, but yeah, four years in a row, we've done a film festival and just really helped out a lot of people. We raised money for veterans to get out to the field and hunt as well. So, um, I always take a lot of pride in being able to sponsor, a, a first responder, law enforcement, you know, or a veteran to go yeah. out the field and, and hunt or their kids. If they're unable to, or, or, you know, a gold star family where, you know, a, a military member died overseas, any member of that family would be eligible as well. And so we, I work with a number of different organizations to to try to push people to go out and, and to share it, not just with kids, but anybody, anybody who's willing.
1: Right. Absolutely. With. (laughs) So after after you had your experience uh, with with the entire uh, literal film crew um, and that kind of kind, you know, it kind of worked out, but kind of didn't, obviously. Um, What what direction did you go from there? I mean, you obviously still have the show, so you kept filming. But what uh, what direction did you go from there?
2: Well, you know, you'd think that if you went out with a movie crew, all you could do is go down. But really what what happened is I just found incredible cinematography and action. And so I, um, I really thought it was important that we were, you know, as authentic as we could possibly be, but I still did not want to lose the cinematography. So I I worked hard. Um, most of that crew, the film guys wanted to stay and work with me. They loved going out to the field. I had a, a hippie from Taos who looked at me one day and said, I never thought I would find myself in the mountains loving the hunt like I do. And it just changed his life and his perspective. It was really cool. So we did that. And then eventually we started getting networked and finding people who were had hunting experience and camera experience, and then really working with them to make sure that they knew how to capture our style.
1: Eight miles deep on horseback, wall tents, in September, chasing elk with archery equipment. That is what dreams are made of. Outdoor Edge is giving away a free Colorado elk hunt. To enter the drawing, go to OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Again, that is OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: And just about every single hunt, we, we self-film as well. And so my brother and I are always running a, you know, a running gun camera of some sort that's small enough to fit in our cargo pocket good enough that it can make it on TV, not good enough to make the entire episode out of it, but good enough to capture some of those perspective shots that that sometimes, you know, a a cameraman will not be able to capture. And that's made a lot of difference for us too.
1: Yeah. I I couldn't agree with that more, uh, you know, with, with you uh, and your brother carrying a camera because, you know, especially say, you know, I go film like Willie and Chris, for instance, and uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Willie Smith owns Pure Hunting, and uh, he's the host. And then his co-host is Chris Nowak. And you know, there's times when I'll be up with Chris, and Willie'll will be back calling. So Willie will, you know, pull out whatever camera he has, um, and and kind of do like you're saying some some footage where he's calling from and stuff like that. And that just, as you know, that just adds to the story. And Obviously, if we're 70 yards apart through the black timber, there's no way that I could physically film both of them. It's not possible. So that, uh, you know, the Willie carrying a camera, much like you and your brother do, is, man, it's crazy how much those, even if it's a 30-second clip, it's crazy how much that can add to the story and make you feel like you're being engulfed in that story rather than, you know, just being with the hunter um, it's, it's crazy.
2: Right. No, you're, 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 you're exactly right. And so that's why I'm not afraid as well. Like if I'm available, I will film and I, last year. And I'm always the first one to jump on that grenade, uh, <laughs> because I like, I like the intensity of it as well. Same exact reason why you enjoyed, you know, telling the story. I like being able to capture the story. Right. And so it makes me feel like I'm part of the hunt. Even if I don't have a tag. I'm part of it and a very important part of it. If we really want to accomplish what we set out to do.
1: Yes, that, yeah, no kidding. It's a a very, very important part of it. Yeah, for sure. uh, So do you, as far as hunting itself goes, um, do you have, you know, do you prefer archery or rifle or do you just love all of it or? you know, what, which one kind of gets you excited the most?
2: Well, I'm just going to start with hunting gets me excited the most. So <laughs> I laugh a lot and say that, uh, I'm an equal opportunity hunter. Um, I love the challenge of bow hunting and I love how the animals are acting and behaving, um, during the bow hunt, especially during elk season. I mean, I, I think if you look at behind Rubicon, I think the majority of our hunts are elk hunts, <laughs> that's but that's so just because cool. what we love to do, but, Oh man, I love getting my rifle, the muzzle loader, and going out into the field as well. You know, but if it's up close and personal time, you know, from the tree stand, one of the very few times that I've whitetail hunted, I'd bow all the way. If it's um, elk, you know, it's bow all the way. This year is going to be mule deer. It's going to be the year of the the mule deer for us because we haven't gotten into big mule deer yet, and I've got this Ruby Mountain mule deer hunt coming up. And I'm hoping to put down a, a good, you know, mature mule deer. And I'll, I'll okay. leave it at that. I, the bottom line is, if it's a legal buck, it could die. <laughs> you know, if I'm <laughs> if I'm out there with the buck, <laughs> but I have to make that decision at that moment. There you go. I can never predict exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to get into. So, <sighs> and that's another thing that I got from my grandfather and my dad. You know, that they, they would they had no problem killing big animals if they wanted to. Right. But in the end what they wanted more than anything was meat on the table. Right. And
1: so, you and know, the, that's in the experience, kinda, I would assume, you know, uh, right. It's, it's interesting, you know, uh, uh, Brian being, being one, basically the first time that you and I've talked and how much I am resonating with you. Cause I, yeah, I film, um, but I was a hunter long before a cameraman, uh, long before a business owner, you know, and, I, so I hunt several states and I am, I literally have the exact mindset that you were just talking about in the Ruby mountains, a big glass and glass. Oh, there's a, there's a buck. Oh, he's in a, he's in a pretty cool spot. Wow. That would be quite the experience to go make that stock happen. Maybe I should try it, you know, and before I know it, I'm talking myself into going and trying this stock (laughs) and, and. Uh, For, you know, for the experience, for, for the challenge, for the food, for, for so many reasons other than the antlers. You know what I mean? Like,
2: it's just. You're exactly right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and if people, you know, I, there was some post going around the last few days about whether hunting is a sport or not. And my opinion is it is sporting and it is thrilling and there is nothing wrong with that. Right. It's okay to recognize that, yes, in fact, I can go to the grocery store and buy some meat most of the time, right? We learned in COVID that's not exactly an accurate statement anymore. Yeah. You know, the, the meme that was running around, why don't you just go to the store and get your meat like everybody else? Well, somebody's killing that. And when they talk, and that's where I talk about the harvest, you know, when you talk about butchering an animal, you're talking about butchering and slaughtering. And... um you know, we don't like like those terms very much when it comes to hunting because there's more of an art to it. But to not recognize the thrill of the hunt, I think, does us a disservice because that's what drives us to get out there. That's what drives us to train harder. That's what drove me to get up and actually run today is because I want to be the best predator in the mountains. And we're supposed to be at the top of the food chain. We're not always there. But We need to be act like we are. Right. and. You know, and 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 it, there is a thrill to that. It's a, it's a primal thrill that exists when you're you're putting yourself in a situation where you're, you're doing that crazy stock that you don't think there's any chance you're gonna it's gonna happen, but you do it anyway because you convince yourself that you can. <laughs> and so there you go. Like I mean, that that's it in a nutshell. That and so, like, so I, I, that's what I really want to do. Oh yeah. So, so I just don't want to be inauthentic. Yeah, You know, I could tell you all day long, I would go, I'm going grocery shopping. Well, grocery shopping is not exciting. Right. I can refer to my, to my freezer as my groceries. That's for sure. But it's really, there's, there's no correlation for me. And so I'm not even pretending anymore. It's, it's sometimes it it really is just, it's as close as I can get to being in combat without being in combat. Right. I'll just put it that way. There you go. Um, That makes sense. And right. I get to, I get to exercise, um, my tactical side of my brain. I get to do problem solving. I have to maintain some discipline. I have to push myself physically. I have to push myself mentally. And sometimes I don't always get it right. And sometimes it doesn't always work out, but, you know, I I liken it to patrolling in the Marine Corps and in Afghanistan. Um, it really does have a lot of those same elements. And I think that's another reason why I love it so much is that it reminds me of that man they used to be. And, you know, it kind of it tests my mettle every time I go in the field.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh, honestly probably one of the things that drives me the most is, much like you said, is the the overall challenge of it. And I don't mean just bow hunting. I mean any type of hunting. The overall challenge of it, you know, because it, every single instance out there with an animal is different. The wind's different, the temperature's different, the thermals are different. the the buck, the age is different or the doe or, or whatever. there could be one deer, there could be seven deer that you don't see and every single instant is different, and that's what may, helps it remain. A challenge and and helps the interest level stay high, because uh, as you know, as soon as you get really good at something, it becomes boring very quickly. And while you can get better at hunting, even even the best hunter out there is going to screw a lot of stuff up because every single instance is so different, you know. And that's that's what's so great about it. I and and that's one of my favorite things for sure.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and no, no good plan, you know, happens or is executed without problems because in the Marines, you know, we, we would set up our plan, but we always knew that the enemy had a say, not just the enemy, but the weather, the terrain, everything contributed to our planning. So we tried to understand all aspects of our mission before we embarked on it. Right. But as soon as you cross what we call the line of departure, that means you're entering enemy territory, um, we knew that it could change very quickly because nothing's following our plan except for us. And that's another correlation to hunting for me is that I could tell you, I'm going to hike this ridgeline. I'm going to hit this water. I'm going to go up here in glass. I'm going to go down into this valley. I'm going to do all this stuff because elk, of course, are going to sleep more after a full moon during the day right elk of course are going to hit water you know four times if they can um they they don't they never follow the plan (laughs) they they never follow the script i'm like the elk should be right here right now or this mule deer should be here right now but they don't follow a script and that's okay
1: yeah that's what makes it exciting yeah agreed agreed 100 um so with with hunting is it it, from the sounds of it you know it sounds like uh you know your dad's been hunting and all that kind of stuff so it sounds like it's kind of always been in your family um but at least for me for, for example it may, I think this will help kind of clarify what question I'm getting to is so hunting has always been in my family like i mentioned to you I, I literally went on my first trip when i was 2 years old i rode in the pannier up to the top of the mountain and then on the elk quarter on the way out right um, so it's always been in my in my family, but not to the extent that I take it. Right? They they would just hunt Wyoming and and pretty much one or two hunts a year, and which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. So with you, um, has has hunting always been in the family, and you have kind of taken the amount of hunts and the skill level and all that stuff to the next level, or you know, is your is your dad and 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 obviously it sounds like your brother is, but is your dad, was he that, that intense on hunting as well?
2: You know, he likes to tell people that, you know, he was the teacher. Now he's the student. Um, and that, you know, he is, you know, happy to take credit for introducing us to hunting. But, uh, beyond that, he's like, you know, I, I, I let you go and you and you took it to a whole new level, um, for me, I look at other hunters too, and I and I strive to be better because, you know, in my time in the Marine Corps, I didn't get to hunt that much, and as a young, youngster, you know, the, the, my first bow hunt wasn't until a month or two before I went into the Marine Corps, and I didn't touch another a bow again for almost twenty years. Um, so the, the the truth of the matter is we we did we did a lot of road hunting. Um, we wore flannel. And, you know, as we progressed as youngsters, I would say my dad, you know, would increase the levels. We went in on horseback. We went into wilderness um, up in uh, Southern Colorado. And so we started getting to a point where we were taking hunting to a new level already. And it just naturally kind of happened with my brother. He, I come back from Somalia and he's like, hey, man, get yourself a loader tag and join us at base camp. This is perfect. So I go get a loader tag, and I'm like, why do you want to shoot muzzleloaders, dude? You shoot guns. <laughs> Rifles are cool. He's like, no, this is great. He goes, check it out, man. These are velvet bucks. And sure enough, I got myself, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at him right now, a 4 by 4 mule deer. You know, his his fur is about as slick as you can imagine. He's a gorgeous velvet buck. And so I, I was hooked. I was like, "Okay, muzzleloader is cool." <laughs> well, a few years later, a few years later, just like, "Hey, man, I bought a bow." I'm like, what did you buy a bow for?" <laughs> like, we we hunt guns and muzzleloaders. We things that go boom. He's like, "Dude, you you have no idea." He goes, "It's just different when you're out there with the bow. You have to get closer, and you have to 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 really put your." <laughs> Sorry, my son just came in and said said he loves me. So, um, <laughs> no problem. But uh, yeah. But my uh, but my brother said, and I'm looking at him like, dude, today, we like things that go boom. We like things that are that you can you, you don't have to get so close to them, you know. And he and, he's, and he told me he's like, Brian, just buy yourself a bow. And so I drank his Kool-Aid and I got on <laughs> eBay, I think, and I bid on a a Matthews, and it came in and had five arrows. And I started shooting. I'm like, man, this. Well, after I started shooting a little while, I started liking shooting my bow better than my gun, <laughs> and. And so by the time that uh, the season came around, I drew uh, uh, an elk tag and an Ibex tag. Those were my first two hunts back-to-back um, in New Mexico. <laughs> Holy and smokes! With my bow. And the first animal that I drew blood on was an Ibex. Um, because I never got, I got one shot on an elk and I had a, a range finder. <laughs> But this elk charged in on me, and I thought he was in my lap. So I just put my 40-pin center mass, let it rip, and shot right under his belly, and he laughed at me. He was a giant. And that experience alone kind of spurred me to continue bow hunting. And I'll admit that there was a a point in time where I thought, yeah, uh, if it's not bow hunting, I don't even want to do it. Uh, But then I realized I was missing out on a lot of other opportunities. That's why I say we're the equal opportunity hunters.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I could definitely uh uh I don't know what the right word I'm looking for right at the moment. It literally you might I, have to
2: I, edit equal opportunity hunter right now. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the political landscape, but <laughs> I just I'm an opportunist, and the guys who can't or won't get off the roads, I don't care. The guys who, as long as they're legal, right? As long, right, as, long right. as they're following the rule of law, I'm I, I'm just not going to sit there and. Throw darts at somebody who doesn't go into the backcountry or throw darts at somebody who's not 35 miles off the nearest paved road. Like, it's just not going to happen. Right. And I, I kind of, I think I, I talked over you a little bit, but that's why I'm, I we opened up with, hey, we're all in this together. Right. And there's more people attacking our way of life than there is supporting our way of life. So we just got to be careful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, no, I'm glad you talked over me because I couldn't figure out the word that I was looking for. I got it now. Um, resonate. I can 100% resonate with that because I you know I have some friends um that that's all they do is bow hunt. And much like much to what you just said, they don't have, you know, any negative look on people that don't just bow hunt. To them, that's what's exciting. And I I always say, you know, I well I'm I'm not allergic to a rifle, so I will continue to use a rifle when I'm not bow hunting. <laughs> and much like you, I, I I think you know, I I, I just I, I don't really care how as long as somebody's doing it legally, I, I don't really care either. Um, I don't find a point to, you know, there's there's just just like there's a reason that there's football and there's a reason that there's basketball, there's a reason that there's hunters that wanna go fifteen miles back in and there's a reason that there's a hunter that Enjoys hanging out at camp and and going out in the morning for 30 minutes, and if they don't see anything, they go back to camp. to hang out at camp. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't care as long as they're having fun, and they're doing it all legally. That's all cool with me too, and and I I, I really respect that. That's that's your outlook on it, because I I just I share that exact same outlook, and so it's kind of refreshing to to hear somebody else have the exact the same outlook as I have. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, that's yeah, it's, it's not a bad out, outlook, you know, that, that's for sure. And some of these, uh, you know, I just and I, I just cringe. I, I have a New Mexico Pure Outdoors as well as one of my private groups. And it's we're cruising just shy, I think, of 14,000 members. And we're very careful about who we allow in there because there's so many trolls out in the world. Um, and thank goodness I got a great staff who who contributes to that. And uh, Felix Hernandez, who who really got it off the ground for us. Um, but you know, you see people in there who are, you know, traditional bow hunters, the trad group throwing insults at the compound guys, compound guys, throwing insults at the crossbow guys and the crossbow guys, throwing insults, you know, up to the muzzleloader guys and shotgun guys. And it just, uh, it's just, that stuff's got to stop. Right. It's got to stop. Um, I do not care. I'll say this. I want to say it publicly about a three and a half four and a half five and a half year old buck i can appreciate appropriate management and game management Mm -hmm. and if you're doing it in conjunction with the biologists and what they say is okay then then that's okay and the biologists don't always get it right either but uh you know there's all those other factors that that contribute to the the health of our herds and our game animals but that's why i kind of say sometimes i if the, the buck is legal which means some biologist said you could kill a and horde. That dude may be in my freezer by the end of the night. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with that. And if somebody tells me he's four and a half years old or he's only two and a half years old and how dare I not let him grow, I'm like, okay, talk to a biologist and talk to me about how many does a giant buck breeds. And they can't answer it. Some people can. They don't breed very much they lock up with the doe a lot. You know, they're not out there. Their genes have been spread long before they get to that point in time. So the biologists take that stuff into consideration and, and I'm not afraid to call them at the New Mexico game and fish department. I'm not afraid to call them at the federal level either and ask them for their opinion. And 100% of the time they've been willing to, to offer it up. Yep. What their opinions are and, and how it's driving policy and how it's driving our conservation of um, all of our game animals out there. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I kind of got on a tangent on you, but, uh, no, that's fine. Really what it was, is, you know, if it's if it's legal, it could, it could be dead. If it's <laughs> giant, it could be dead. If, but I, I never can make that decision. I mean, my brother, Jeff, um, taught me a lot when I got back, when I when I finally left the Marine Corps and really started hunting full time. Um, my, my brother just taught me a lot. He's like, Hey, the trophy chooses you, man. He goes, believe it or not, he goes, I don't really know if I'm going to shoot an animal until I'm in the wheelhouse, until I'm ready, and that opportunity is legitimately presenting itself. And he goes, "If it's a small bull or small deer, and, and that's what I'm feeling that at that moment, I'll take him. If it's a giant, then you know we're all happy about that. that nobody's, nobody's scoffing at, at, at trophy hunting at all. I'm just saying that uh, you know I don't really know until that moment. Even though I, I start to hunt generally with some goals in mind, I really don't know until the moment if it's going to be a 260 bull
1: or a 360 bull. Yeah. And, and kind of to add to that point, um, I was, I was talking with a friend of mine who owns the draw. His name is Jordan Christensen. And we were talking about this kind of the same topic and he put it one of the best ways that I have ever heard it put. He said, uh, you know, I had somebody ask me if I had this specific tag, should I should I shoot a spike or a cow? And I said, I replied, um, if you go through all that work and you have the experience and you get excited and this cow or this spike comes in and you are off the level charts excited, he said, well, what a shame to not put an exclamation point on that excitement by shooting. Um, And when I heard that, I was like, Man, that is, that is so true because, you know, as a cameraman, um, there's been times when the hunter has literally looked at me and they've been like, don't let me shoot X, Y, Z, right? And, and I'll do my best to hold them to that. But at the same point, it's really hard because when people ask me, Hey, should I have shot this or should I have shot that? Or he's right there. Should I shoot? I, I just, I'm like, how do you feel? are you excited right now is 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 this what you had pictured in your mind cuz i think probably as well as you know brian that it's not really it's not really always just the size of the animal that people sometimes get let down on sometimes when they go on an elk hunt they have in their mind made up a story of an elk hunt right and to fulfill that story and to make it the to be as exciting as they wanted they have to be in aspens. The elk has to be bugling, and whether it's a four hundred class bull or a or a two hundred and fifty class bull, that's not really so much that's making the story. It's all the other stuff that adds into all the pieces of that puzzle, and the actual shooting of the animal is just kind of the the, the cherry on the top, right? And it
2: really is, yeah. It's icing on the cake, cherry on the top. It's a yeah. bonus because uh, the the entire journey is it's so important. Right.
1: Um Right. And, and that's and
2: that's where that's where we started.
1: Yep, and and that's why I just you know when people ask me that I'm like I was uh I was filming in Kansas last year and I was filming one guy and his son was texting me um and he I get a text message, "Hey man, here's a picture of a deer in front of me. Should I shoot it?" And and cause he had never really hunted whitetails before. And I, I got the picture and yeah, it's, it's a buck, you know, it's, it's like a eight point or whatever. I don't remember what it was, but I, I just texted back. I said, are you excited right now? Or, or, or not? No, it was after the deer. He passed the deer and he said, man, I kind of think I screwed up. And he sent me the picture and I said, well, let me ask you, were you excited? And he goes, no, not really you know, it it was a nice buck, but I I wasn't, you know, super excited. Then I think you did the right thing, you know, and then two days later or whatever, a bigger buck comes in and he's like, dude, I didn't even have to think about it. I was so flipping excited that I could barely even pick my bow up. And I said, well, there you go. (laughs) There you go. That's what you're looking for. (laughs)
2: Yeah. 100%. 100%. And that's what I, that's what exactly what, you know, the first lesson my brother taught me and, I can remember on day one of a 15-day hunt with my bow, first time in the field with my bow in a lot of years, and I'll just keep that to myself. And I'm working my way back towards base camp, and the sunlight's just perfect, and I snuck up on a cow elk, and I got in there as close as I could, and I was going to kill her, and it didn't matter. I had a bull, either sex tag, and I hadn't even seen a bull yet, but it was just... You know, the stock in the moment, like I, I had no doubt in my mind I was going to pull the trigger. I didn't end up getting it done because I was a super novice. But, uh, um, yeah, no, that, that excitement is what's really got to keep that alive. Inside. Absolutely. And if it becomes mechanical, I think we lose a little something when that happens.
1: Yep. Yep. I, I think we lose a little bit when that happens and when we're trying to conform what social media has said, what makes the experience. Um, it's true. You know. Um, well, I
2: know I know Jordan as well, by the way, just to point that oh, out. Yeah? I wanted to jump on that too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. he's He lives in Las Cruces. Yep. I was walking by the booth in Salt Lake City at the Hunt Expo, and he's like, oh, my gosh, Beyond Rubicon, I've been wanting to talk to you. He does all of our planning and hunts. He's um, the man. All over the country. Oh, my goodness. And he will spend time with you? Yep. But uh, Jordan, you haven't returned my text message yet, but uh, I guess you're probably tired of me blowing him up. Uh, but uh, no, he's, he's helped us out tremendously yeah. um, and taken a lot of pressure off the team, trying to figure out how we can apply in multiple states and try to have more opportunity. That's awesome. And uh, if, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be able to fill our, fill our obligations to the network or to our fans or, or whatnot. So I'm, I'm telling pretty fortunate to have Jordan on our team.
1: That's cool. That's cool I, I I agree he's he as, even as a DIY hunter he's helped me out a bunch um, well Brian I honestly can't thank you enough for taking the time out today to hop on the podcast uh, you said a couple things in there that that I would love to dive into further maybe on another podcast uh, sometime when you get time like when you mentioned that one of your first hunts you went on with a bow was an Ibex, that is something that I've just got to dive into because it's, <laughs> I mean, it's a freaking Ibex. <laughs> it's, like, right. let alone drawing the tag is hard, but they live on the rock. Like, come on. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff I <laughs> want to dive into deeper. Um, and we'll just. That's a quite a story. Yeah, we'll have to <sighs> just set up That's- another time for a podcast if you'd be open for that.
2: I'm totally open for it. I'd love to talk ibex. Um, that is my favorite hunt period, and uh, I can't draw it. It's a draw only, and it's you know they're managed by the state as a big game animal. They're not right. High fence these things are free ranging. They are wild and they thrive down there. So yeah, yeah. I've got uh, a few ibex stories that I'd I love to share with you.
0: Awesome,
1: awesome. Well, thank you so much for for being on the, on the podcast today.
2: That was my pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening in. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. We hope to have you tuning in for the next episode.